0: three, two, one. Let's Let's go! go! Yes, I'm the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, joined with Gareth Evans from Vecta. And we'll get to Vecta here in a minute. Uh, What I want to talk about first is always our sponsors, as we much appreciate the uh, ability to do this, man. I got to meet Gareth. We get to share his story. I think it's definitely inspirational, learned a ton and uh, something really interesting to think about and to hear. And that couldn't be possible without our partners, man. Trunkline. Trunkline is a really cool software developing company that is building a platform and has already built the platform where service providers and operators have a place to go and look at people's work, not a place to just go and meet and talk about politics or whatever. It's not social media, this is like Expedia like you talked about in the show. This is kind of like an Expedia but for people looking for the services that they need in the area they have assets. So right. sometimes, right, sometimes you work remotely and you don't know all the engineering companies, you don't know all the different rigs and workover crews in the area you have these assets, especially after reorgs and things like that. Trunkline is exactly that. You can go to the website, I need tank, I need facilities built in San Antonio, Texas bang, it pulls up people that have the work and you just look at their profile and it's all the previous works. It's before and afters of remediation projects like you talked about, right? Like here's how of a mess it was. we got this 78 bug that we pulled out of the ground, like beer bottles, you know, and then you got the after picture. That's a perfect setup for something like Trunkline, right? Put that out there. Put your, show your work, showcase what you do, allow people to see that. And then they call with the questions. How much did that cost? How did you do that? Right. It's not it's, it's a new way of getting people to connect and get the, the people that are doing good work with the operators who need to find good work. That's Trunkline. Uh They also make legendary oilfield horizontal socks. Uh, so if you if you want to go to like a happy hour and you want to show off some uh, socks, if these socks are amazing, I'll send you a pair. Um, so that's trunk line. The other company is Impact Exploration Geologic Services. They do mud logging, geosteering, and they have a lab in Houston where they can run XRF, XRD, rock Val paralysis, water chemistries, you know, get the elemental makeup of the soils, of the rocks, of the fluids that we get out of the ground so that we can optimize the production in a new area or even in an old area. So that's Impact Geologic Exploration Services. It's a really cool company that have, they have mud logging units all over the place. They got a lot of experience and uh, we appreciate both of them very much for sponsoring the PBE podcast. Gareth, uh, sir, CEO of Vecta, please give me an elevator pitch. Right. 20 seconds, little elevator noise in the background going. How do you introduce yourself? How do you introduce yourself?
1: I'd say uh, utilities and the centralized grid are failing businesses across the country. Costs are going up. Reliability is going down. Meanwhile, uh, companies want to reduce their emission profile. Vector is the technology enabled platform that is essentially your Google Maps of your energy transition. Where are you today? Where do you want to get to and how do you get there? And so we support you to design, configure the optimal energy strategy and solutions for your facilities, and then connect with the best suppliers in the market to have them built, financed, operated. And uh, yeah, we're here to take you on that journey. Nice. Doesn't matter what
0: industry you're in. It's just if you have, a yeah, your electrical needs could be evaluated and you might have better options.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Let me read your bio for a second, man. Uh, Gareth is a dad, a husband, a friend, a CEO, and adventure seeker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after the Shaolin monk story, I totally believe that, that it's not fake news right there. Adventure seeker <laughs> <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. Gareth is committed to a mission of empowering businesses and communities to make the global transition towards a more affordable, secure, and rela- and renewable energy future gareth has been a leader his entire life from working in charity and community organizations leading sports teams to military operations gareth has parlayed these experiences into building teams and businesses who challenge the planet's greatest challenges and opportunities. He is now focusing on enabling companies to successfully navigate the energy transition. His time in Iraq following the Gulf War set his mission in motion. It opened his eyes to a world without access to reliable energy and other basic essentials needed to survive, he saw the impact that can have on the stability of a region and the health and success of a business and communities. Driven by the this experience, he committed himself to find solutions that create profitable, profitable and sustainable energy outcomes, such that can uh, can all such that we can all thrive. I knew I was going to start getting a hiccup going. I knew that it was
1: a, a, was a long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still going. I'm still going. I don't.
0: I don't know if we're going to even use all this, but it's still going. He and his family have lived, traveled, and immersed in cultures on six continents, and he sees it at his privilege to work with talented people passionate about challenging the status quo, taking on audacious goals, and uh, collaborating to make an impact. He is aligning these values with Vecta's mission to unlock, simplify, and accelerate the energy transition, starting with on-site energy. His commitment to lifelong learning, mentorship, value-added impact, and adventure, all while having fun, which has fueled his passion for living life to the fullest inside and out of the office. Vecta is simplifying and accelerating the transition to a more profitable and sustainable energy future. Vecta empowers businesses to competitively deploy on-site energy solutions across their operations. In one integrated platform, business leaders have access to actionable insights and vibrant marketplace of vetted providers to confidently plan, assess, deploy and monitor their energy transition energy with maximum efficiency, www.vecta.com. That was a big one. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to meet you and share your story. Uh, I, I did truly enjoy uh, our time spent together.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. You're a, you're a natural and I enjoyed uh, hanging out and that's great. I'm looking I forward know. to learning more about you and what you do and your business and Yeah, let me know how it can be of help to, to you and your network. Right
0: on, cool. Yeah, we're we're starting to do uh, live events out here in San Antonio, man. We want to. Really? We got the yeah South Texas Geological Society. You know, two three hundred local geologists that have been doing the oil and gas uh, business out here, right in San Antonio. The Eagle Ford, this massive resource that's out here. It's a huge industry. Uh, this the the community oil and gas wise is a little sleepy because you have this thriving, basically metropolitan complex that's building between Austin and San Antonio and you know this. This is totally on another level than just oil and gas. But it was built because the oil and gas industry was very stable here, was very impactful on the lives and and the development of San Antonio. So we, we're capturing that story. We're, we do a lot of interviews with people that got to live through that history and help build that. But we're also bringing now in bankers and engineers, and you know we want this community to come together. And realize there's options. Realize that you know these the, we're just all working hard to make sure that we're going into a sustainable future for for everything. Not just you know where is our energy coming from, but how are the economies going to get through the t- troubling times? How can we slow down these cyclicities or at least reduce the amplitude of them? How can we do a better job? How can we communicate better? It's really what it's all about, man. So we got live events and stuff we're trying to do. Would love to have you out here in San Antonio. Bring the family. Yeah. Heck yeah. You ever been to the Riverwalk?
1: No.
0: Oh, San Diego doesn't have a Riverwalk. No. I promise you that. They got a no. lot of things. They got better weather. They got <laughs> beaches. They got probably better food. You got Tijuana. I mean, I get it. I get it. No one wants to go to Nuevo Laredo from, from San Antonio, but you don't have a Riverwalk and that's a true experience, man. That's a really fun one. Uh, so yeah if you're ever here man I'd love to get yeah. together and yeah have dinner let our kids uh meet uh, I can take you out to these oil and gas wells and you can see you know what's going on there yeah. uh that would be awesome um let's do some quotes and quips okay you ready yeah yeah if life were predictable it would cease to be life and without flavor Eleanor Roosevelt said that
1: yeah it's a good one Yeah, I think uh, spot on. I think that's what keeps it spicy, isn't it? Like nothing's predictable and you kind of got to embrace the highs and lows and just ride it out. Right. Yeah. It's a hard thing, though,
0: man. It's a hard thing to know that those, you know, the lows and the highs like that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of, you know, wisdom to to have the ability to get through the lows Enjoy the highs, you know, try to manage the lows better next time as it's just
1: inevitable that it's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. My favorite quote, I think, is actually, you know, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And I think it ties really well.
0: (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I like that. You're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Get the F off the cliff. Ah, that's good. I really like that. All right. Let's do this one. Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant.
1: Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. I think um I I'm a mentor for women of clean tech and sustainability. And you know, we bring in internships into our business. And I think we have to be completely always investing into the future through the new generations coming through. And I think that's a big part of planting the seeds and I think being being dads, we're doing that all the time as well, aren't we? Working. Yeah. Building yeah. A, a escape. Much like
0: being a father, I can imagine a CEO is probably pretty similar. There's kind of a fine line between you know, how much rope you're going to give them because you know the, the kind of the, the obvious mistakes that could be happening and you don't want them to make those mistakes. You don't want them to feel that pain or go through those trials and tribulations. But at the same time, you know that if they don't, then when it does happen and you might not be there to support them through those times, you know, how are they going to get through it? I would rather, I would rather them trip and fall and stumble and, and be confused while I'm there. And I could be the support and I could say, okay, let's assess it. You know, what happened? How, that There's where the mistake went, right? There's yep. where you made that assumption of risk and teach them these, these things so that maybe when that day comes and you're not around, they'll be able to get through those things and they'll be able to Right, to get through these challenges. And that's really hard because you want to build a robot. You want to build somebody that's perfect and is efficient and knows exactly what to do, when to do it, don't make any mistakes, you know, whip them into action, whip them into shape. (laughs) (laughs) You want, you know, that's true. But at the same time, you're not going to build them for true success down the road. You want to you want this person to flourish. You know, you want them to one day run the company or if not, go and, and run your own uh, and, and give them every, you know, every chance to do that. It's tough. Yeah. It's slippery slope. Yeah. OK, last one. Here we go. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that plays into a lot of what we talked about today. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was Helen Keller that said that. No, yeah, really? Or that somehow communicated that cuz she does she Helen Keller was the right she was mute. Yeah. Right? Do I have that right? Helen Keller, right? Yeah. So, anyway, she said, "Yeah, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all, man." <laughs> um, between your bio, the quotes and quips, this introduction has basically spoke for itself. You have a long history of a very unique i think perspective and and road that you were able to traverse and make it through and as we get older and as we get wiser and as we get e- like even more daring with our actions because we've been through things in our past that stack up in a way that gives us the confidence that we can get through this right you're not going to be daring without knowing that Hey, I've been alone in the dark in the rain, right? I've seen the end and I wasn't afraid. Those kinds of ideas, like you've been there and yep. now you've, you're taking all that and you're building this team and you have Vecta, which is, Man, again, if we had everybody in a room that I know and said, let's talk about energy transition, there would be no microphones. You know, no no one would want that on on TV and what they really feel and how we're really getting through this. But it's those conversations that allow us i think to to build the sustainable future that we all dream of that we all see and uh, bringing in the next generation that has a vision that we don't get to see right our kids see a different world they, because they're just they they're younger than us they see it differently they'll see a world that we never get to see you got to take in those things and yeah uh, I, I think is a really cool um Company, I think you're a great CEO. From what I can gather from this show, and I enjoyed the heck out of sharing this time with you, sir.
1: Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure.
0: I love your style. Well, we are officially starting the conception part of the PBE podcast with Gareth. Gareth, what's your what's your last name? Evans. Oh, that's an easy one, Gareth. Evans from Vecta, Vecta. So that's a pretty interesting one. Vector as in Vector, right? And I saw it on the website, talked about kind of that's where the name talks about.
1: Yeah, yeah. We definitely put a lot of thought into that. So we're a software tech company. So we wanted something that was catchy and techy. So vector is a play on vector. And that means to provide magnitude, direction, and scale. And so we bring that to the energy industry. And we've kind of gone with the V for out with the old, A without in with the new. And then our green E is our three core values, challenge limits, adapt purposefully, empower co-creation, and it's green for kind of the energy transition. Yeah,
0: you definitely put some thought into that one. Vector stuff for magnitude, direction, and scale also works for geologists, right? That's yeah. when you're on outcrop and you're mapping where the copper is actually going, it typically starts with a type vector. And as you get closer to your deposit, these vectors of elemental makeups of rocks, right, these components that make this fractionation into this big copper body starts off and it vectors your way towards that. It gives you a direction of where to go. It gives you kind of what's the magnitude right now of of the scale of the copper. And typically, it it, it explodes into a scale of high copper, right, high cobalt, things that we need the energy transition so that's how that all works
1: for uh, on the geology side i love that nice. my, my wife's actually a geologist but a hydrogeologist so i don't get to hear about that sort of stuff <laughs> Ah, she's a water
0: lady yeah. yeah nice cool all right man tell me a little bit about yourself where are you from how does yeah. the story go how did you become the ceo of vecta let's talk about it
1: yeah so uh, you can probably tell from the accent not from san diego where i'm based now Um, from Liverpool, England, or just outside it. And um, yeah, it's been a wild ride to get here, honestly. Um, Very adventurous by sort of background, always loved traveling. And so after university, um, I traveled around the world and ended up in Canada. And the oil and gas industry was booming there at the time, and I actually had an environmental science degree. So I spent many years supporting the oil and gas industry to remediate, reclaim old well sites, Uh, Mm -hmm. And that actually took me off to Iraq, and I was supporting major oil and gas companies moving into the region after the second Gulf War, so doing environmental and social liability assessments so they could document, here's the state of the oil field as we're moving into it. And that was a a really big eye-opener, you know, here we were unlocking some of the biggest energy reserves in the world, and yet the local populace, having come out the back end of a war, was surviving on two to four hours of power a day. And so that kind of gave me the first glimpse into, um, you know, we need thriving energy access for all, at a, you know, acceptable price that's reliable. And um, that took me on the journey. And so I traveled around the world with a major energy firm, Wally Parsons at the time. So from Canada to the Middle East to Australia, and then back to the US, and then I led there um, power consulting business globally. And then we saw some of the challenges in the industry and that's what resulted in us spinning vector up. Whoa. Okay. Let's rock it back. What'd your parents do? Were they engineers? Were they also in energy? Oh, so mom and dad were both police officers. My mom oh, wow. retired when she had me, my dad went on to have pretty, you know, his whole career was, was in the force. And so, yeah, always grew up with, a good morals, good values. Um, It was always about, you know, non-materialistic things. It was about experiences and being out and about. Um, and through my dad's work, we actually got to spend a couple of years in the Caribbean. You know, he was responsible for working with the US Coast Guard and military and trying to manage some of the drug, um, drug transports through the Caribbean chain up into the US from South America. So, Got to live kind of island life. That was ages nine to eleven. So is that right? Yeah, it's been a crazy.
0: How much did that influence like the style of music you listen to or like anything like I mean nine to eleven? That's a that's a that's a very growing part of life.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Like I really got into dub music at the time, which (laughs) is um yeah, it's something i I occasionally will listen to every now and then. Um and I'd say it just gave me a really good appreciation for different cultures, different lifestyles, you know? Yeah. All our friends were different colors, different backgrounds, different races. So it was amazing. Wow, man. That's interesting. Okay. So you're, yeah, you're, this
0: is cool, man. You got a cool uh, perspective at a young age from different areas and, you know, the Caribbean, I guess it would be a nicer part. Or was it like, what was your take on like how clean of a place was the Caribbean from nine to 11? Was it?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. We were on Tortola, which is the British Virgin Islands. Um, and at the time, you know, it was it was really good. It obviously got smashed by the hurricanes a few years ago, so I'm not sure um, what the situation is like there now. But yeah, it was great. You know, it's definitely not, it wasn't, you know, truly developed world, all singing, all dancing, but, you know, it had everything we needed. And yeah, yeah. It had great beaches and great snorkeling and sailing and all those all things. Right. Have you been back since? I went back once and i ended up getting the bend scuba diving i got airlifted by a helicopter to puerto rico and i spent my holiday in a hyperbaric chamber <laughs> trying to what? get rid of the bend. so yeah the hell did that feel like it was crazy actually you know we we finished the dive and all the guys i was diving with they're all smoking they're all drinking and i didn't do any of that but i had been to the gym the day before and they think maybe i was dehydrated and as we were on the boat on the way home, I started feeling like tingling in my elbows and I just didn't feel quite right. And I just said to dad, um, as soon as we get back, can you take me to hospital? And so we did that. And then, yeah, and, uh, it's there's not much you can do about it. Um, apart from for me, it was uh, put me on oxygen and put me on a drip until they then got me to the hyperbaric chamber and then they take you down and then they try and bring you back up multiple times to try and allow the nitrogen to come out your bloodstream so yeah it was really interesting um and it what screwed your body man. completely you know the they said the bubbles must have got into my nervous system so they'd do the the reaction test you know where they'd hit your knee with a hammer yeah yeah knee could kick up but the other yeah. knee could kick up so it'd like reverse the body you know is yeah it was, wow yeah, you like make a right cross on the dog.
0: You're like, sorry, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Wow, that sounds crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we spun off a little bit there, but you, you know, you're you, you get your degrees from where? Where are you at by the time you get to college?
1: Yeah. Um. I so I didn't go straight to university after school. You know, I, but I ended up going to Lancaster University. uh, studied environmental science there for three years, and I was actually sponsored to do that through the air force so i had you know i flew planes with the air force at the weekends and then studied during the week so like in the uk you go through university for three years so three years flew by but it's good the environmental science is something i really enjoyed i enjoyed geography and sort of learning about the world around us but i never thought i'd actually get into it as part of my career Wow.
0: Cool. All right, man. That, so that sets you off into kind of your young professional career, right? You said you did the Air Force before college, college, you get out of college. What did, what was your first job? What What did you start doing?
1: Yep. So uh, I ended up like with a few friends. We decided we didn't want to necessarily jump straight into work. Um, so we went and trained with, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a mad story, but we trained with the Shaolin monks in Northeast China for two months. And then we traveled through Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and then it kind of ran out of money in canada and um, my first jobs were like delivering furniture to local you know for a local furniture store, shop yeah little odds and ends um until i could find work that was you know in the environmental sector and i finally found the company and i hit them up many many times and i think they finally got sick of me and gave in and asked me to come in for an interview and nice ended. i think i got the job because there was a running race coming up that they wanted to enter and they needed someone to be part of it <laughs> and, and I said I ran so I think they had me probably just for my just for my willingness to go
0: race <laughs> this is great that's great I bet that's true can we rock it back to the whole Shaolin monk thing what are you talking <laughs> about <laughs> like, what are
1: you talking about yeah so you know looking back it was kind of a crazy story four friends decided they didn't want to just bounce into the real world and we found a, A website that essentially said, if you commit to two months worth of training and you pay, I think it was something like $700 US, then you can live in a Shaolin monastery. And it was like 12 hours northeast of China, almost near the North Korean border. You just have to be at this train station platform on this day and this time and we'll pick you up. And so we rocked up and we got picked up and we got taken to this monastery and no one spoke English it was the local uh, the whole area was very agricultural still horse and cart and the local populace would drop off their kids at like the age of three and then they would spent like they would be their school their training everything and you know they'd be made to do the splits within two weeks so they'd have the instructors like standing on them and they'd be screaming and you know it was full-on like proper traditional and so we got to learn kung fu we got to learn what they call sander which is almost like uh it's Chinese boxing, it's very similar to UFC fighting. Almost no no rules. And so, yeah, we got super fit up at 5am every morning, running up and down a hill, yeah. stretching Tai Chi's, the sun came up, breakfast, and then you'd learn Kung Fu all day, and then you'd fight in the evenings, and then you'd just get the weekends off. And so we did that for two months, probably the fittest we've ever been, best bonding experience we could have ever had. You kind of wow. go to a room, almost like a Little prison cell, rock hard beds. Like just crazy experience. Wow. Did you
0: guys have to fight each other or you fought like other Chinese people?
1: Both. Yeah, we got to do both. And I think that was the first time my friends kind of got an appreciation for my ability to kind of just see red in the moment and get super aggressive and then kind of come out of it and chill out again. So they, they had fun with that. They kind of shaved the Mohican into my head and <laughs> At one point I had a black eye from one of the trainings, so I looked super aggressive. <laughs> so it was really good. Yeah, like I really embraced that and got into it.
0: Wow. What'd you learn from all that? I mean, obviously the different cultures and and just like the discipline that it takes to be like, I mean, basically being trained to be a warrior and like a, a fighter, you know. Like what, what'd you learn from that? What's your takeaway from that experience?
1: Yeah, so many, so many cool things. I think some of the biggest was actually, you know, watching. The way they manage their energy flows. And you know, they're big into the Tai Chi and they would teach us like manual acupuncture things. You know, if you if you're experiencing this, you can put pressure here and sort of managing how energy flows through the body. I thought that was super interesting. Um, and a a lot of the discipline and just ways to drive the body to do the right things. So they'd send us on a run and we'd have to hold water in our mouths. And then you could only breathe through your nose and You're always taught, you know, breathe through your nose, but once you get tired or you're on a run, it's very easy to resort to the easy option. Whereas doing little tricks like that, you couldn't. So if you came back and there was no water left in your mouth, then you'd be sent again until you did it. And so very disciplined, very all about consistency. So the routine was kind of the same every day, Um, and it just showed me that with just being sort of forward driven, action orientated, getting into that routine. The results come very significantly. And I kind of applied that to business life today. You know, it's it's just about the keep it keeping it moving, which is great. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, that's just I'm I'm applying it to my own thoughts and my own businesses. That's good. My own, right. I'm like, yeah, this I could I could see that consistency is a big deal. I always talk about that. Persistence and yeah. consistency uh is is a big deal so okay so you're back from that you 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 or you land in canada right that's what it sounded like you land in canada you get on your feet you get a job because you're a runner and you know how to breathe through your nose really efficiently (laughs) (laughs) you're ready for
1: this competition all right what where does it go from here yeah so i spent then um close to five years with it was a small consultancy firm probably 200 people And what was great about it is like the average age was probably 25 to 30 and everyone was really adventurous. You know, we'd go on ski trips together. We'd all go to the bar after work on a Friday. So the the morale and the culture. So that actually taught me a lot in terms of the building fun and opportunity into the workplace through that. But yeah, we're working with major oil and gas companies, the Shells, the BPs, um, the Imperial Oils, the Exxons of the world. And um, they're obviously developing assets all throughout Alberta and British Columbia. And some of the wells were drilled, you know, back in the early 1900s. Right. And these are like way out there, you know. I actually had a huge amount of respect for the guys who must have been out there on the on the dozers and things like that in the middle of the forest trying to drill these things. And mm-hmm. so now they were abandoned and we were kind of in there helping the oil companies manage their liabilities and return them back to forestry land. So it was really cool, you know, being able to, um, identify where the impacts were, monitor them um, through water wells, soil samples, and then ultimately dig up these flare pits and sumps, remediate the soil where possible, and then return it back to its original land use. Wow. So, really really good experience. Yeah. Where'd all that money come from for the remediation and all that? Like, yeah.
0: is it private, government?
1: Yeah, the oil and gas companies themselves have to set aside as part of their. Um, I suppose, permission to drill these wells, a remediation fund. And so they would pay for it themselves. There's a bunch of what they call orphaned wells where companies right. don't exist anymore and there's no kind of rightful owner. And then the government's obviously asked to then step up and cover that if they want to deal with it. Wow. Yeah. There's obviously a huge orphan issue in in America,
0: you know, yeah. especially in Texas, Oklahoma, these are yeah massive problems that have been left. And if they had a remediation budget back in the day, it's certainly not available now. No, exactly. Um, that's pretty wild. So that's cool. So you, there was a third party, the Exxon's or whatever, would say, "Look, we we have this situation. We want you guys to come in assess it." So yep. you just first come in with like drones, don't really touch anything. It's like a like a murder scene you're like taping it off you're like what is
1: really going on here yeah okay it's actually almost even pre-drone era so we'd use air photos to try and um, identify where the light you know and we'd we'd have images of if they had old files photographs and things like that so you could orientate how the well site was set up you could figure yeah. out likely where they put the flare pits and the sumps and and then once you've kind of done your desktop phase one study, then you go out with a drill rig and you'd start drilling into the well site to try and find contaminated soils. You'd install. How big of a hole? How big um, of a hole are you? Just a couple of inches. Just a.
0: Oh, little guys.
1: Yeah, like six inch auger.
0: A six inch hole, six yeah. inch auger. And cool. it would
1: go 100 feet or something like that. Yeah. Like you just chase it until you kind of. Um, came out of it. So rarely that we'd go, you know, beyond sort of what, 30 meters, hundred feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'd be pretty rare to go beyond that.
0: Man. So you're out there, you're catching the samples. You're like, Hey, we're in like a a clay, a soil. And then all of a sudden it's like,
1: what the hell we're in like asphalt, you know, something happened here. Exactly. And you know, straight away, you know, once you hit like a pure flare pit, the odors are off the charts, like the benzenes and things like that, you can really sense it. Um, And then once you dug these things out, like once you come in, you'd find all sorts in there, old cars, old Coke bottles, you know, all like real cool old school stuff. It'd be amazing to see. They must have just like at the end of the job, anything they didn't want to get out of there would go straight in these pits.
0: Yes. (laughs) that Sounds like a great that sounds totally realistic.
1: Yeah, that's
0: exactly what we would do if there were no (laughs) rules. (laughs) Uh, Unregulated, right? Like back then, it was just like,
1: yeah. Well, these yeah. were like right out in the boonies, so you know you'd literally be three or four hours in a truck from the city, like up in the middle of the forest. And even today, to get up there, up the old forestry roads, was horrific. And back then, I you know I couldn't begin to guess how long it'd take them to get out there, especially with all the materials. It must have been, it must have been pretty you know hardy hardy people. Yeah, isn't that funny, man? That's a black. That's
0: a, a, a kind of a, a look into the past based on, you know, that's an interesting perspective because you have modern technology, modern cars, you have traction control. Like, you know, you're in these, right? You're in modern. And and then you imagine how the hell did they do this in like a 57 Chevy? (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. I I can imagine. Yeah, that's a really cool perspective how they they pulled that off. And what you're pointing out is that, you know, they, they were just built of kind of a different cloth maybe. These guys just, you know, you didn't have any other options that, at the time. I'm you know, this is it. This is our job. This we're getting paid to do it. And I'm not gonna lose this job. I'm not gonna lose
1: the way, you know, feed my family. And yeah, exactly. So they'd all be camping out there because there wouldn't have been any towns anywhere near there. They'd have had their own little camp and, and they would have just lived it, breathed it. Freaking bears and mountain yeah. lions, just
0: raw tooth and claw. These guys with fucking guns or something, just like, yeah, hey, yeah. <laughs> like we're here. Yeah, Ho- hope to see you uh, in a few months. You know, I'm sure it took forever to drill and all that stuff. You know, yeah, man, fascinating. That's really really cool. Interesting. You got old ph- photos and stuff. Are you doing that? Yeah, that'd be cool to take a look at. I'd love to to, to see some of those old photos.
1: Yeah, I can send you. Nice. Yeah. And I've, you know, super proud of the ones that we did, like fully reclaim. I've got I'd love to get back there one day because we'd have them re-replanted and trees kind of put in as babies. And now that I'm sure they're mature and there's a wow. few spots where I'd left an area which would be a perfect uh, tent pad for the future. So it'd be interesting to see whether it still exists and dang
0: it. Take yeah, take the kids up there and about it one of your reclamation like remediation stuff that sounds like something freaking vecta should create like a massive commercial (laughs) around
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: you know we have the ability to really mess things up but we also do certainly have the ability to to fix it it's not that it's not unfixable you know at the end of the day but uh this kind of goes into into vecta right and and into kind of yeah your passion and obviously your vision for a company that's doing what Vector is doing. So from from that experience, how long did you do that? And then how do you get eventually into the CEO of, of this
1: this company? Yeah. yeah, so we got acquired by Wally, the engineering firm, as the consultant firm. And I think for, for some, that was a bit of a threat, you know, you go from being this couple hundred person company to being a part of a 40,000 person organization. But for my wife and I, it was then just international opportunity. So that's when we went off to the Middle East and we were based in Dubai and then I'd fly in and out of Iraq for, we did that for two years. Then we went to Perth, Australia, and that was sort of heavy support in mining oil and gas to be able to develop their projects. Yeah. And then in the U S it was then in the power sector. So the business had come through the coal and nuclear, the gas build out. It was kind of deep in the renewables kind of build out then. Yeah. I just, I'd say kind of the, the real drivers for creating Vector were, you know, we saw that businesses wanted to be able to, they were seeing their energy costs going up, you know, from their utilities. We all get energy from the the traditional centralized grid. So it's generated hundreds of miles away in a power plant. We receive the power kind of a magical thing that we, none of us really think about. We turn, right. turn our utensils and appliances on and they come on and, Sometimes they don't, and so we're starting to see more and more businesses complaining about we're suffering from power outages. Our costs are going up, and um, and some have set emission reduction targets. How could they achieve all these things? Um, and as you know, you know, centralized systems are sort of easier to design and build, but then they're more vulnerable. You know, if you have one tree fall on a transmission line, it can have mm-hmm. impacts on hundreds of thousands of people. Businesses, things like that. Do you know, in 2021, the U.S. business landscape lost 150 billion dollars as a result of power outages. And so, we're seeing these trends: the infrastructure is aging; it's harder to maintain; right. it's becoming more vulnerable. And so, how do we ensure that energy, the lifeblood of everything we need to for our personal lives as well as our business lives, how do we ensure that we can get access to it? In a really efficient, reliable, cost-effective, cleaner sure. clean way. And so, the market today is is very disparate. You know, business leaders don't know what's possible. You know, who, who do I turn to to even think about this? Um, what do, what could I achieve? Where do I begin? And on the supply side, suppliers who are in this industry, they've got the technologies, they've got the construction capabilities, the finance to go and deploy. we call on-site energy systems so building a solution right where the business needs it yeah Um, but their biggest competitor is like indecision from the customer because they're trying to sell them a solution because the customer is knows nothing really about the energy industry they don't know what to believe or what do or not so then it creates this lack of trust and indecision and so our role really is to support the energy buyer To understand where am I at today? Where do I want to go? What's my opportunity to get there? What would an energy solution look like at my facilities? And then how do I then engage with the supply side of the market to get the best quotes for me? And so we act as, you know, we've automated the whole assessment side on the front end, and then we act as essentially a marketplace or a broker on the back end. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. So, okay, I'm following. That's interesting. Uh, and, and we'll get to uh, drilling down into that here in a minute. But uh, back in the Iraq uh, ex- explorer time, what years were that? What,
1: what year was that? I was uh 2009 to 11. So in the I- Iraq war mm-hmm. was when? Like Literally, the second Gulf war was just winding down. So 2008, 2009. Yeah. Whoa, So right on the heels of that. Yeah. So we're living on the US Army base in Basra. And um, yeah, we get mortar attacked most evenings, rocket attacks. We wouldn't wow. be able to go out on into the oil fields without sort of um, armoured land cruisers and personal protection teams. And so, yeah, it certainly a test of how to lead teams in stressful conditions because it was super stressful. And I don't think we quite understood it at the time, you know, how stressful it was. But um, I actually definitely suffered a bit of anxiety after that, you know, my wife would say I was quite kind of moody and grumpy and, you know, very different personality, very impatient. I, uh, I couldn't go on public transport or anything like that because I always felt like I needed to go to the toilet. You know, I was kind of that anxious that I couldn't be away from a toilet. I get super, like, I'd start oh, sweating. Whoa. and it's... So it took probably oh, six months God. to a year to kind of work through that. And wow. Like, yeah. Holy cow just from
0: being in such a tense situation for so long, yeah. your body
1: was like saying hey like f this yeah yeah exactly it was kind of a, a really good learning experience to be able to like now I can catch on when the stress levels are rising quite quickly and I kind of recognize the signs but you know in that sort of environment uh, it's just that kind of constant drip yeah. off you know, exposure all the time and yeah. you never really get to truly like just relax and turn off. Like I've got huge respect for the military because, you know, those guys are living and breathing that all the time. We had Jeez. kind of a finite period. We knew we were kind of in and out and I didn't have to go back to it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Man, what, <clears throat> what a level of uh, experience, man. I appreciate you taking the time just kind of walking me through all those different things. And as you, you know, you're forming yourself into this young man that wants to run a company and, and really make a difference. Um, You know, you've equipped yourself, whether you chose to do it on purpose or not, you've really equipped yourself, you know, to be mentally strong, obviously physically there. Um, You know, that's what a CEO and a visionary has got to be. I mean, if you can't live that out and pursue that vision and be constant and be there every day and fight through the the struggles that come with being a visionary and and being a a, a leader um it's just going it, to those ideas die die with the the individual you know that's such a such a tragedy yeah. if you don't if you if you're not equipped to do that don't try to do it you know you could be a dreamer but if it's like just played video games basically my whole life and never really had any real sp- responsibilities but now I want to go change the world you know and now I'm going to Yeah, you're like, uh wait a minute, you know, you're not exactly qualified
1: to do this. You know, there's a raw, I think, truth to that. Um, but what I I I think you spot on and it's relentless, you know. I think growing and growing a business, it's not it's not easy. I think (laughs) you kinda you hear the rose tinted glasses versions and and the reality is, it's really freaking hard. Uh, oh, you said relentless. I heard ruthless. Yeah, ruthless. <laughs> That's what I heard.
0: Machiavellian, man. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what is wrong, what is happening, what the timing is. It does not matter. And it's not up to you. You need to figure out your staying power and you need to figure out how to stay consistent. And you better have a heck of a team around you that's supporting you and calling you and you're talking to them. You know, you're you can't be doing these kinds of things alone. Um, and you can't have a weak team. You can't be, you know, it's it's a slippery slope. Um but relentless, ruthless. Yeah. I'll go with all of those things. Uh, yeah. I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up. Let's get, let's get into the drill down seven. You got anything else from, uh, from your kind of your young career, or maybe like if your wife was like a huge part of this in any particular way and inspiration in any particular way, you want to mention anything else about your story?
1: Well, for sure. Like Mel has been super critical, you know, we kind of met through work and like we talked touched on before she, uh, hydrogeologist by trade and, so we worked in the same company, and but she was always willing to kind of take on a new adventure, get after it. And I think that was that's kind of opened up the aperture for everything we've kind of achieved together. So, um, yeah, she's been amazing. She And she's kind of super active as well herself. And we've got an eight-year-old boy. And so we kind of balance building our own careers and bringing him up and all trying to stay fit and healthy. And so, yeah, she's been... The perfect partner in crime, yeah, friend, and for to manage through those ruthless times that you described, you know, you kind of need that that kind of rock there, for sure. Man, right on. Got your rock, man. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. You got all the pieces. All right, talk to me. You are now day one CEO of Vecta, or do you want to maybe walk us through? Like, was there a funding process? Like. What exactly was Vecta before you got there?
1: I don't know how to. How does this actually go? Yeah, so quite a non-traditional startup path, actually. Um, so I was still with Worley at the time, large engineering firm. We were we were consultants in the industry, supporting businesses to look at their energy challenges and opportunities, and we saw that there were the market was broken, and we decided that it needed to. Be, there was a solution that could be applied. And so we actually spent two years within the corporation testing and validating some of these ideas. So we got yeah. some innovation funding. Um, we partnered with a, a software company that specialized in being able to design these systems. And we, we kind of proved it out as consultants and engineers. We could design a system, we could engineer it, we could construct it, and then we could operate it. And that kind of played into the business appetite But what we realized is it actually needed to be, in our minds, an independent marketplace that could facilitate this at scale. And you couldn't do that within a corporation. And so Mm. uh, they kind of believed in the vision. They gave us our initial funding. And so we kind of launched with the backing of the software company bringing some tech support and the corporation bringing some financial support. Um, And that's how we launched. And we launched November 2019. Um, oh little did we know that like literally two months later you know the whole world would kind of yeah so yeah it was kind of a really interesting time you know even just starting a business I'd never been through that so you know registering a Delaware corporation and going through kind of all the processes of setting up a company that was kind of quite exciting and there was just myself and uh, my co-founder at the time Tristan Jackson Um, and so everything was exciting we getting ready to roll and then um sort of covid hit and so I, you know i think it was a bit of a blessing in disguise in a sense that we knew through that period then we couldn't go and sell what, sell the idea and sell a vision to customers you know customers right. just weren't interested you know people were just sure. so distracted by what was going on
0: right well so and could, to... it wouldn't have been pop it would have been possible to even do something because the supply chains were all yeah. messed up i mean it that would have been a disaster if, if someone said, yeah, I still want to try this, you know, in the middle of all this. And you <laughs> guys took that on, you might have completely lost your ass on a, on your first project if you even tried to do that. So you were in a position, your company was available to, to afford and have the staying power through COVID to realize you're not going to immediately get to sales. You got to buy yourself time. You got to work through these times. You were able to. You were able to manage that.
1: Yeah. So we kind of focused on building the software product, Um, and I think the best way for your audience to think about it is, you know, like the Expedia experience that simplifies your holiday buying experience. You know, instead of now having to go to a travel agent and pay them a commission or become a holiday buying expert yourself and go to an airline and a hotel and a rental car company and try and package all this stuff up together now you just go to experience say, here's my dates here's my ideal location give me the best options and that's what vector is for the energy industry and so we kind of focused on building the software product and you know we we did some sort of consulting style jobs to pay the bills and just keep keep the keep the business moving and then um and I suppose the the beauty of it is it we couldn't build a team in person. We couldn't even go to the office. And so we just hired some of the best talent spread around the world. So today our marketplace expert, Calvin, he's based in Toronto. Uh, sorry, Melbourne, our energy sort of modeling expert, Felipe, former Siemens, um, ex, you know, smart grid business leader, he's based in Toronto we've got people spread throughout the US. So it it created this kind of remote first team and it forced us to build a a culture spread apart. And then when we got the opportunity to finally come together, it was amazing seeing how sort of the power of, you you can still build a strong culture and uh, business around values, even being remote. And so I'd say that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is that the team we built and how strong it is um, even through those kind of conditions. Wow. Yeah, that's super interesting. Where's the company actually based out of? So San Diego, and we've definitely got now a core group of people here, which is nice. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, what, that's where we're at. He's yeah. got a screaming baby in the background. Can you hear that? I can't actually, no. Okay, good. How old is the baby? Three months. Oh, wow. How are you doing? How am I doing?
0: Yeah. Oh man, I'm fighting through, you know, that, that change in energy, that change in your sleep cycles, aren't the same. You're, you're, you're monitoring, you know, this life that's in total like blob stage. Right. So super, like hundred percent of your time, you know, is on this baby, make sure she's, she's good. So that is all that's, uh, this is our third baby. So adjusting through, that different energy is, is always different. You know, it's always different. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a thing, so, but I think we're doing well, you know, the, ha- the babies are healthy, the family's happy. So, you know, you look at the round at the fundamental things and it, you can't be upset about something. You can't be too stressed, too worried, too not happy about yep. what's going on. So we're thankful for that. And, and we, we're thankful for that every morning
1: when we wake up. So it helps to, to get through the day, man. That's amazing. Good. Yeah, I think I read uh, a few weeks back, you know, you got to enjoy the seasons. You know, we're always in this mentality of, oh, it's in the middle of winter. I can't wait for spring and then I can't wait for summer. Yeah. You're pushing the year away instead of just going, let's embrace the season. And I think you're going through one of those seasons. It may feel like the winter right now, but <laughs> you don't want to rush it and get to spring. And then you kind of, you you kind of then craving winter again, you know, because you'll never yeah. get back. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, that's the truth, man. That's life. Yes. That is life. Uh, how old are you? Uh, 40. Oh, 40 years. All right, man. So that's your CEO for, uh, for v- uh, Vecta for how long now? Um, like three and a bit years. Wow. Yep. Okay. So this is, man, still really uh, the, the startup, but uh, yeah. coming coming through COVID, man, that's getting on the other side of COVID, I think officially makes you not a startup anymore. Like Yeah, you, man. Planted yourself here with a team. You've planted yourself here with something that uh, must be needed. So let's talk a little bit more about that. When you guys, when your phones are ringing, or when you're looking for clients, when you're looking for potential projects, you know what are kind of the big fifty thousand foot view uh, boxes that you're trying to start checking. You know what? How does this? How does this go?
1: Yep. Um, Perfect customer is a customer who has like a pain point of power reliability issues or escalating power costs that they wanna get under control or they've got an emission reduction target. Um, ideally more than one site. So they've got a portfolio of facilities that they want to be able to do this across uh, multiple sites. And um, and there's certainly focused sectors today. So for us, you know, we're seeing most opportunities in manufacturing, food and beverage, mining, and then I do, like oil and gas is, is certainly in need of this because they operate remote facilities right. in far-flung places. And yeah. they also want to go on the energy transition. And kind of the best way for them to start is how can they do their existing work more reliably, more cleaner, you know, more cost-effective. Because our biggest kind of... approach is like sustainability doesn't have to come at the cost of profitability and I think that's really important you know we still businesses need to be successful but I think what's happened in the last few years is because of the reduction in the cost of technologies of you know solar and storage and wind and all gas turbines and all these things you can now deploy these systems and reduce your operating costs, increase your reliability and reduce your emissions. So it becomes like a win-win-win. Um, but it's a complex process. So that's what right. we want to bring to bring to the customers is like a really simplified buying experience. But yeah, US, North America is our sort of strongest market today. There's, um, the grid is aging most here. You know, in some places, the infrastructure that we get our power through is 170, 50 years old. So yeah. You know, we're kind of relying on infrastructure that's pretty old school now. And the commercial calls right. are fairly broken. You know, I, I, I don't know whether you experience the same, but here in California, we've got some of the most expensive energy prices in the world. And they're escalating, you know, we are speaking to a customer the other week, their bill went up 40% just in one year. And how do you how do you plan operationally for that? And yeah. so it's those sorts of scenarios that we we want to support our customers to manage. And so instead of relying on this centralized infrastructure where you're a passive consumer and you have no control over if you get the energy, when you get it, how much you pay for it. We want mm-hmm. people to have control over their energy future by building a solution right at their facility. Wow. Uh, and that can be a combination cool. of lots of different technologies. That's what makes it really exciting.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, we did an energy transition show right when COVID hit. Okay. Um, and we brought in a, a Canadian guy that did a bunch of solar panels on skyscrapers in Canada. Yep. and uh, he was you know, all about it. And I'm going, okay that you know it's it, it's cool. And we had a map that showed here's where the best states of America are for solar power, right? Mm-hmm. And And that map was pretty obvious sections of like hot and cold, right? Like okay, the hot areas like Arizona. Perfect. That's a a great place to think about doing solar. There's other places where it's cloudy all the time or rainy and just shitty weather. It's just not the place that solar might be. Solar will have to be supported by something over here. But in Arizona, you can argue you might be able to get away with just solar because how just available that solar energy is in Arizona. And that led to the conversation, which I think leads to the concept of why your business is a thing back in 20 or right in the beginning of 2020, when we were doing this was it's very situational. Yep, Your energy needs and how you get your energy and how you make it reliable. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yep. You can, ha- you can make energy, but if it's only going to
1: last a couple of years, that's not reliable. No. And you spot on Troy. And well, the first comments I'd make is, if a business wants energy resilience, they, they can't even achieve that with solar only. So from a regulatory perspective, if the grid turns off the power, if you have solar only, you also have to switch off your, your solar because they don't want it discharging into the grid as someone's trying to repair lines. And so you have to have a controller and typically you have to be able to store that that energy. So you have to have a battery and a controller that can disconnect you from the grid and then store the energy so that you don't frazzle your panels and equipment. So interesting, real big misconception for a lot of people where they go, I've got solar on my roof, why has my power gone off? And And so from a resilience perspective, solar only doesn't cut it. Um, So you have to then combine it with other technologies. You're spot on. I think solar, even in the worst of places, actually can generate a fair bit of, Energy that you can really leverage at a very cost-effective rate. But yeah, in terms of the your comments around every situation is different, it is because every business, even within a business, their facilities are spread all across the country. They've got different grid connections, yeah. different utility tariffs different fuel uh, prices, different solar radiance potential. So all these things are things we consider to then sheesh. configure the right solution for them. Wow. So like the uh, T or a pilot
0: gas station company, right? The pilot, they got pilot gas stations from coast to coast, South America, uh, you know, border to border. They got all different areas. Your company would come in and start. Identifying at each single potentially each single location of those pilot gas stations, its energy source and 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 options in that area to make it more reliable, cheaper. That, that's how you would attack something. Is that like a kind of a, a blown up idea of what you guys do?
1: Yeah. So that's kind of the power of it. Is the first step is all right. You've got these hundreds of sites. Yeah. Where are you going to get your greatest return on investment to hit your goals? And so you're not going to focus on all hundreds of sites straight off the bat. So maybe what are the first five or ten that are going to get you the greatest return? And maybe past. that's maybe yeah. that's cost, maybe uh-huh. their date is emissions, maybe it's we're sick of the power, whatever their priorities. Yeah. We help them rank their sites and we give them insights around here's what you could save by doing this, here's the emission reduction potential, here's the payback period, all these sort of metrics that help business leaders decide whether they should proceed. And we're also massive advocates of just kill bad projects quickly. Let's not spend time and energy on projects that, you know, you've got really competitive cost of power and your are yeah. located in the grid, super reliable, you know, don't waste your time there. Right, right. right. So we help them frame out, here's the opportunity. And then for those top priority sites, then we help them configure the truly optimal system in terms of which technologies, what size of technologies, and then what are all the financial metrics that go along with that. That's that's cool. cool. Yeah, And then that's really what then allows the buyer to now go and tell tell the market, here's what I want, now quote me. Because the way the market works today is the solar developer will be knocking on the door saying, buy my panels, buy my system. And they won't know what questions to ask. They won't know how to compare it. So we want to really overcome this information asymmetry and put the buyer in control and ensure that they're driving the market and that they're getting these competitive bids back and that all the bids are pricing the same solution. So now you can compare them. Now you can decide who it is that you work with. Yeah. Man,
0: how about regulatory changes and things like that? You guys have people on staff that are kind of keeping up with the different rules and regs between states and or even between countries you're doing this around the world right
1: yeah definitely best markets north america but australia for the mining sector for sure Um, and then we've just started working with a few companies who are based in europe and looking at projects throughout africa and so the technology is like sector agnostic and geography agnostic but from a sales perspective certainly north america is our focus Um, and then we follow the corporations that we work with internationally if we need to yeah. Um, yeah, the regulations are certainly different in so we, we for sure in terms of our assessment and configuration work, look at the big drivers. So the inflation reduction act is now yeah. a huge opportunity for businesses where you can get between 30 and 60 percent tax incentives. So you can almost, you know, get the system half price by using these incentives in the right way. So we apply them to our modeling and things. We don't get down to like the the real minutiae of the local level because if the project already pencils with the way we're looking at it then once you go to market and you get suppliers to bid on the project you can tell them to consider other local incentives and that they're kind of the local experts so we're aware of them we've got a way of pulling all the different incentives and regulatory drivers but we're definitely not we don't want to be experts in that we we kind of want our customers to just ensure that they have a business case, yeah. a good system. And then let's, the supply side is amazing. Like these guys are building these systems all the time, but let's reduce their cost of project acquisition. So if we can be feeding the supply side, these kind of pre-vetted projects. Mm. They also love it because now they're not having to spend sales and marketing effort, free consulting hours to try and convince a customer to do what, what they want to nice. do.
0: So do some of your studies become like publicly available? for 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 this reason that you you can kind of easily get what's potentially developing here in this area from your guys's perspective and assessment that allows maybe someone you don't know that might have a solution and uh and they they get access to that information and go oh I have the perfect windmill for what you know what you're looking whatever it is right yeah
1: yeah 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 so it's like it's our customers data and it's their project and so once they're happy they they can approve it to be released into our marketplace and then suppliers who match the type of project profile whether it's geography whether it's system technology whether it's the way it needs to be financed the right suppliers get notified of the opportunity yeah. and they can kind of see it at a hot like a 40,000 foot level of his the general parameters, but we don't give them the details until they commit to transact in the marketplace. And then once cool. they do that, then they can see the whole report, all the details they need. Yeah, cool. Well, that was cool. Yeah, the drill down segment with uh,
0: with Gareth and uh, anything else you want to uh, to mention about vector uh, before we move on to the completion and, and talk kind of about the future.
1: I uh, just uh, super exciting times. I think on the back of like the inflation reduction act, we're going to see a huge amount of money going into this. And I think for any business, thinking about their energy situation in the next few years is certainly the time to do it because the incentives are going to be so attractive that, you know, you're, you can take very significant advantage of that. Um, And utility prices are never going down, you know, they're only going to go up. So at what point is kind of breaking point for businesses that they start looking at their options. I'd say try and get ahead of it as early as possible. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time in the sector. I think the energy transition creates a lot of question marks for a lot of people. But I think right. the reality is this is a multi-decade transition. We're not going to shut off oil and gas and all these sorts of things for, for years to come. So we need to right. support businesses to be able to go on that journey and adapt purposefully. And um, if we can be bringing more sustainable energy solutions to even the businesses that are under pressure. You know, that's a really good step in the right direction. So that's, that's the, that's the mission. Let's simplify and accelerate the transition and let's make it profitable. yet Sustainable. Nice. Yeah. I like that. That was well said, sir. Well
0: said. Let's get into the completion part of the PBE podcast with Gareth Evans, CEO of Vecta. And uh, someone that uh, I'm certainly going to follow and I appreciate uh, what you've done, what you've built, you know, the sacrifices that you've gone through um, to, to build this and to have the opportunity to do exactly what you're saying, which is try to make the energy transition a reliable one and a stable one and an economic one. You know, those are. Fundamental challenges. If you get a bunch of people in a room and they, especially, they start drinking whiskey, what do you really think about energy transition? <laughs> you get their, you know, they their hearts yeah. are on their sleeves, and you get all kinds of interesting uh, feedback, right? And and disruptive thoughts on, you know, how real real is all this? What is it going to be? Uh, you're taking a very systematic and I think engineered and and linear thinking and logical approach to it, which is it's situational. And if if your company has the ability to sit back and say, okay, let's understand where we're really getting our energy and maybe what does the next 20, 30, 40 years look like for these areas, these, situ- these gas stations we have, these assets we have in oil and gas or a mining operation, um, that's yeah. That sounds really fun, really fascinating. Let's talk about the completion uh, part of this. Let's talk about the future for Vecta. Where, where do you see um, a couple of projects that you're currently working on? Where do you see these things going? How is it going?
1: Yep. Yeah, like the ultimate vision is, you know, the way you think about Uber for your ride share and Amazon for buying your products. You know, I want every business leader in the world to think about Vector when they think about energy. That's that's the that's the ultimate vision Um, and it's, it's going, you know, I'd say this is a new industry, onsite energy, you know, onsite energy has been around, but I'd say microgrids and onsite energy systems have really just started taking off in the last few years because the price of the technologies have come down to make it viable. Um, So I'd say it's a new industry. We're bringing a new business model to the market. And so there's always that kind of friction, you know, we're kind of going through the, the people who are truly innovators and embracing it, and the early adopters, and at some point we'll kind of see the big kick of more of them, the mass market taking taking um taking our approach because it's way more efficient. And so, yeah, we're kind of at that crux now where we've got the technology, we've got the team, we've got the the use cases, we've got some amazing um, international corporate customers. So we go from you know working at large manufacturing and mine sites and oil and gas facilities down to the local microbrewery. That's kind of the exciting opportunity, is everything in between. So anyone who's thinking about this, um, and the projects that are live, yeah. We've done a lot of really exciting assessments. We're working with a lot of particularly manufacturing customers that the USGs of the world, the Honeywells, the Magnus, the car manufacturers, and you know, we're really supporting them to assess and design their projects. And mm. you know, they're starting to now make their way into the marketplace. And that's that's where the rubber really hits the road. You know, the suppliers are really liking it because they're receiving, you know, systematic specs that they can now price a solution around. Yeah. And the customers like it because they get to, they don't have to be an energy expert, they get to drive a process that they're being, you know, whether it's a board-driven thing, whether it's a CEO-driven thing, they've been told they've got to achieve something. They either can go and hire a very expensive consultants, so or they can try and hire an internal team. But the talent pool is is lean and it's very expensive. And so let's use technology to remove all that friction out of the system. Nice. So those projects are progressing and I think um, it's, it's early days for the industry, but I think by all accounts... Uh, the industry is proving that a combination of different technologies, whether it's fully renewable or whether it's a hybrid solution, whether it's solar with gas right. and storage, you know, we can do any combination. It's really what are your space constraints? What are your objectives? Um, what do the geographical conditions allow? And so all them, all those feed into a solution. And you know, one of the mining companies we work with in Australia, MacArthur Minerals, they actually announced – the work we'd done on the Australian stock exchange to support their business case and to be able to advertise the journey they were going on. And so we looked at the different scenarios for them, their status quo in the mining sector is let's just go and dump a bunch of diesel gen sets in the middle of the desert and they'll power our asset. And uh-huh. so you go from that extreme to then is the different scenarios you can consider gas plus solar plus wind plus storage, just Wind and storage, you know, so you can model yeah. different scenarios, and you can show them the the business case and the impact that that has on the on the industry. So it's really cool. It allows people to very quickly assess uh, right. what's, what's possible and what their stakeholders are interested in. As yeah. you know, money talks, and for a lot of these companies, capital is now saying we need you to be developing your businesses and your projects yep. in a different way. And so they're realizing even to just get competitive capital, they need to be thinking about it differently. So, Big time. so the tailwinds in the industry that are sort of very positive. Right on. Yeah. I mean, cash
0: flow is king, I think, right now. Cash yep. flow is king. So if, if you're a publicly trading company and you're coming out and going, hey, we are thinking about replacing this ocean of generators that are ran on gas you know gasoline tags uh with vecta's solution which is going to be this combination of yeah. generators where you need them solar panels whatever it is the storage which yeah. I want to definitely get into that yeah. i think that makes sense i think that's a great place for this i think idea to exist right now the idea that oil and gas is going to be uh never used in the future is not where we need to start this conversation it's not what the conversation's about no we can be more efficient and potentially more economic at the same time for companies that need to improve their cash flow so they can get more capital to buy more assets or to do you know keep doing the, their thing as a company if you're not cash flowing you are probably quickly going into uh, a really bad situation
1: for the business yeah yeah as business leaders and even energy security is just becoming such a i think the ukraine situation really highlighted to a lot of people in europe one minute your energy is secure and you kind of relying on the the grid for power and then the next minute you're worried that the the primary source of gas is now gone and um There's lots of situations like this around the world that aren't being kind of highlighted. Like South Africa right now, their whole grid is completely failing. They're going through 12-hour rolling blackouts on a regular basis. And so you can imagine for a business leader, how do you run a business when energy is just not a certainty? And so that kind of energy security, energy sovereignty, I think is going to be really hypersensitive for a lot of people. Uh, You know, Samsung in Texas, in do you know when they had that, cold snap a couple of years ago yeah they said they lost two hundred seventy thousand dollars just in that one power outage because the plant shut down and for a lot of oil and gas owners if the refinery or the chemical plant goes offline it's not it's not like other businesses where you just turn it back on you know it's weeks or months and so these are kind of some of the business risks that i think leaders are now starting to tap into and but like you say money talks and so who doesn't want to save money first of all yeah. um that's kind of that's always kind of priority number 1 and if you can get some of these stackable benefits then that's that's the opportunity
0: right on uh you brought up storage you brought up energy storage i want to talk about this and i think this maybe could be where we in the show but your the concept of energy that makes electricity and this grid that allows this platform of electricity at the flip of a switch The whole concept about that, the whole effing concept about that is usually always focused on the source of energy. How you are making the energy creates a reliable uh, infrastructure. So if you have great oil and gas, great nuclear, great wind, solar, all those things that make the energy, then you could have a good, stable infrastructure to supply electricity for the world to to really work or modern societies to to really work and thrive. Storage, I think, is the future. And I say that because I'm I'm currently involved in working a graphene deposit. Have you heard of graphene? We have a huge deposit of this stuff in Western Arizona. Oh, really? Yes. And it appears to have this amazing ability to hold an electric charge. So if we can now build storage in no. areas that have excess energy. Cause the problem with bad storage right now, correct me if I'm wrong, you could have all the best ways of making energy. But if you if you, if you you cut down on that, you go, okay, we made a lot for a long time. Now we're gonna kind of like not make as much. That doesn't work well for the infrastructure. The infrastructure has to have a certain amount, a certain level of energy consistent into the grid for the whole grid to work really well, especially when you have surges and things like that, right? So, if, if you had if I think the future holds a much more efficient electricity energy storage capability through products like graphene, yep. that could totally change the game. Yep. You now don't need a massive amount of oil and gas and wind and, and solar and all this way to make all this energy to electrify the planet. You might not need to go much more than we're already doing. Maybe we're focusing in the wrong areas. Maybe we have enough source. We need to think about the storage.
1: What do you yeah, think? I think storage is hugely critical component, and I think today the the sexy technology is certainly lifting my eye on. But um, but there's lots of really cool concepts, and yeah, there's lot. You know, whether it's nickel, whether it's vanadium, there's lots of different yeah. uh, different technologies being assessed. Someone was talking to me the other day about quantum computing storage. I don't have a clue how that works, but yeah, do I? But that, that's certainly that's key to the energy transition. I think there's a few things that will happen is, one, at a transmission level, like the central grid level, um, you have to be able to store it because the grid has to always be in balance. You have to have supply matching demand. And that's really the the, the challenge for the grid is, like how do you constantly predict how much right. people are going to need and have that on call all the time? But I think that's the opportunity for a more distributed on-site future because if every home and every business has their own source and their own storage, and then we make it super simple and understandable through apps, like you know, the technology companies that exist today, our lives are being simplified and optimized through apps. If you could then log into your app and say, hey, um, it looks like I'm going to be overproducing for the next week, but I know my family member... In the state over or the community over, will need energy. Being able to trade it or sell it, or mm. being able to even you know, being able to buy and sell, and it kind of creates that more sustainable, thriving community because Interesting. then you can balance. You can you're not having to shut people's power down. You can manage the the supply and demand on spec, but storage is critical to that, even at wow. a house. So that's an interesting concept. I didn't think about the
0: economic uh, cycle. It, once you get it to that point and you can get to optimization and you have extra, yeah. you have this thing that can run itself essentially. Now that can only almost be another economic source of income yeah. where you could, yeah, you could trade and sell and electricity is uh, you know they say bitcoin's the future electricity is the future man
1: yeah yeah <laughs> exactly like say so you're lucky enough to have a bunch of storage in your garage and suddenly the the distribution operator or your neighbor has has a need to store their energy you know maybe yeah. out your storage space and you know i've got friends in the energy bitcoin space as well who are targeting the oil and gas industry for these reasons as they've got they're flaring gas they've, they've got too much energy um how do you capture that and have a guaranteed off-taker in a Bitcoin miner who will take your excess energy, pay you for it, you'd otherwise be wasting it, and they yeah. use that to generate their... So there's lots of cool ways we can do it. I think sure. just, yeah. I once think you step outside the status quo and think of it differently.
0: Yep. Once you get there, once you get there, I think all this is very cool, very fascinating. Think about um, Vecta taking it on and having this team um i saw these these pages of individuals that work at vecta um that's that's really cool and and congratulations on on creating something like this and having the opportunity and the guts to go after it and and i'm rooting for you man
1: yeah thanks it's a it's an exciting adventure it's a wild ride it's it's definitely not a straightforward ride as you as you alluded to before but that's that's kind of what what makes it exciting and keeps us all driving forwards i think there's huge opportunity here and if we get it well when we get it right as a society it just you know takes everyone's level of living up another lot notch so that's kind of let's create that thriving future right on yeah get rid of some of the waste man the waste is a
0: big deal